I love this season. I love the time that we get to gather. We get to use all these moments as excuse to gather together as a family of God and, and just celebrate. And, um, and part of that is having a crazy family. Anybody out there have a crazy family? Yeah, anybody have those, cra like the crazy family members? And whenever I say that, you got a picture of who it is in their mind, like their face scrolls past you. You know who I'm talking about. And you're sitting there at, kind of scratch your head saying, well, I'm not sure who my crazy family is. It's you. Because <laughs> there's one in every family, at least. One in every family. And, and I, I got to be honest with you. Some of, some of the crazy is crazier than the other crazies. You know what I'm saying? And so you, you, you have that crazy family member that you're like, okay, well, I can invite them for Thanksgiving, but we're, we're not inviting uncle crazy. You know, we're not, we're going to stay away from that kind of crazy. But I promise you that your crazy family doesn't hold a candle to David's crazy family. King David out of the Bible, he had a crazy family. I mean, we're talking about reality TV without the TV. We're talking, it was a mess of a kind of family. And that's what I want to look at today when we talk about gathering before your enemies, because David's family ended up being David's enemy. But Many of us have different kinds of enemies, and today as we talk about what your enemy is, I want to invite you to think about what that enemy of your life is. Maybe it is a relationship like a family member. Maybe it is a, a relationship like a friend that has uh, turned bitter, but maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, a diagnosis from a doctor. Uh, maybe it's a loss of a job or, or, or eviction notice. Maybe it's the bills are, are getting too, too much. And all of these crazy things in our lives, these, these enemies of our peace come and they, you feel like you're being weighed down and, and maybe even you feel like you're being destroyed by them. One of the greatest passages of peace through all the scripture is Psalm 23. And it's in these times of, of, of our lives, these trials, these things that really weigh us down, where we turn to Psalm 23 to garner that peace, that support, to be reminded that God is a good shepherd and God is a good host and God is a provider in the midst of all that's going on. And we read through this passage of scripture because because it gives us this kind of peace. And, and as I prayed through this, uh, through this last several weeks, I feel more and more like God is guiding me to this point in scripture to talk about gathering before our enemies. And, and there's no doubt that this text is so rich. I mean, it's so rich that I could probably spend an entire series just diving in to, to this, this passage but instead of doing a whole series, I decided to fit it all in one sermon. And I want you to look with me at Psalm 23. It's only six verses. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. 
Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Somebody say amen to that. That's the kind of provision. That's the kind of blessing. That's the kind of God that we serve. And it is so good to be reminded of who we serve. That God is a just and a merciful God that, that loves us and he wants to shepherd us, to take us, to guide us, to lead us, to bring us to the right place in our lives. No matter where we are, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether it's on the top of the mountain or whether it's in the, the, the depth of the valley, he is there and he wants to provide everything that we need, even in some translations say, the valley of what? The shadow of death. But it's kind of interesting when we reflect on this passage of scripture, we can actually look and, and scholars believe they, they have linked this poem, this song, to an actual account in David's life. This is a long metaphor, but it, it's a metaphor going back to something real that happened to David. And it's easy to understand that whenever you look at songwriters today and you, you think about how they write songs and how, how they do things, we find out that, that the best songs, the most intentional, the, the ones that move us the most come from a, a place of authenticity, a, a genuine place of of pain, a genuine place of confusion, anxiety, of difficulty, where we find out that God really is good in our lives. And as we, as we look into this, we find ourselves going back all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 13 for this real account, because the truth is, is that Many people have thought that this was written whenever David was a shepherd because he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And David was a shepherd boy. But, but this comes out of a place of authenticity. This comes out of a place where somebody's been through a little bit of life. They've been through a little bit of stuff in their life. And, and as a matter of fact, this, this passage is more, more than likely written late in David's life after he's, after he's been a king and after he's had kids. Because goodness you knows you, you've been through something when you had kids. <laughs> that, was, that was so deep that somebody didn't even say amen to that because it was like, ooh, that's too close to home. But it, we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 13 where we read a little bit about his life. I want to I stop right there before we go in any further. I want to ask that the Lord speak to us this morning. I know I've already prayed, but I just feel the need to pray one more time. Lord, Lord, be here. Open our hearts to receive your word, Lord, this morning. Help us, Lord, to see the provision that you've laid before us in every situation. Amen. In order for us to wrap our, our minds around this text, we have to understand a little bit about David and his background. You see, David had many wives and he had many concubines. Uh, by the way, that's not, that's not how God intended things. So there's no sister wives in the assembly of God, okay? All right. He, he had, he had many wives, but he, through those wives, he had many children. And 
In today's passage of scripture, I'm going to be talking about three of his children. Uh, we find out that uh, David had a, a son named Absalom and a daughter named uh, Tamar through the same wife. And through a different wife, he had a son named Amnon. Now, I think it's pretty apparent that David had a problem naming his kids because none of these are real catchy. But nevertheless, these are David's kids, and, and Amnon had, a, had an infatuation. Matter of fact, he fell in love with Tamar, but his heart was hurting because he knew that since it was his sister from a different mister, then there was no way that he was going to be able to, 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 to be with her. And he shared this uh, with a friend and his friend advised him to come up with this crazy twisted plot. And so what happened was he asked his father, David, he pretended he was sick. He asked his father, David, send Tamar to me so that she can make me some bread and comfort me and feed it to me. And David did that. And David was used to create this elaborate uh, uh, idea that, 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 uh, that set up this really bad situation. And Amnon ended up raping Tamar. She ran back to her, her brother, Absalom, and Absalom, it, it hurt him immensely to see his sister hurting like that. And so what he went, did is he went, to, um, he went to her and he said, listen, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of the situation. He waited for three years to set up this situation, this circumstance, and ended up murdering his brother, Amnon. He got, he got even with him, and he ran away to another kingdom. When David found out all about this, his, his heart was so messed up. He was so grieved, he was so sad, he was so angry. All these emotions came to him immediately. But as he processed it uh, over the years, he, he ended up inviting Absalom back into his kingdom, but he was so, still so hurt by it that he didn't even want to look at him. So for two years, he avoided Absalom. He wouldn't even invite him into his presence. He wouldn't allow Absalom to see his face, the Bible says. But through certain circumstances, situation, Absalom forced his way into the king's presence and the king, David, he, he allowed Absalom to see his face. But there was incredible bitterness that grew in Absalom's heart. I mean, I, I can't even imagine uh, that all that happened to my sister, all that happened to me, I can't see the key, I can't see my dad. And now I'm bitter, I'm bitter about it. And so Absalom decided that he was gonna overthrow the king. He was gonna overthrow his father. He was gonna take control of the kingdom. He could be a better leader than his dad. And so he developed this incredible plot to, to bring a coup into the kingdom. And that's exactly where we, we begin our story today. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 13, a message soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once or it'll be too late. David urged his men, hurry. If we don't get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. Jump down to verse 23. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidron Valley and then went out towards the wilderness. 
we find out that David, his family, his servants ended up being about 600 people were being chased out of town by Absalom. He was on his way to, to siege the city. He was on his way to kill King David. He was on his way to take David's throne. But David loved his family. He loved his, his city so much that he, he decided to walk away from it all to save his people, to save his service, to save his family, and to save his city. He ran out the side door. He ran out the back door trying to get away. And it, it must have been an incredible experience. He got about an hour's notice that this is coming. He didn't have any time to prepare. He just, he just went. You know, sometimes in our, in our minds as we read through scriptures, we, we forget that these are real places and real people. Uh, actual things that happen in places that still exist today. And so today I wanna, I wanna lead you through a presentation of, of the actual places of all this occurred. And I'm gonna let the, the geography of these places speak the message of what it means to really rely on God in our darkest valley this morning. And so what I did in, in preparation for this message is, is I took a little tour of Israel. Um, I, I, I'm not a mega church pastor, okay? So I, I didn't actually fly over to Israel and take these pictures. I actually just went on to Google Earth, like you can. And some of these pictures, most of these pictures are from Google Earth, if you can believe it. You can see this stuff with your own eyes. And so the very first thing that we find out is that David had an escape route. As you look at this picture right now, you can see that, that on, uh, on the left here is the side approximately right where David would exit from David's palace in Jerusalem, right by the Temple Mount. This was before the temple was a Temple Mount, but David had a palace right there, and him and 600 people ran down the side of Mount Moriah, which is the, where the temple is, down into the Kidron Valley where you're looking at right now. And in our minds, that Kidron Valley is so huge. It's so big. It's almost mythical, but this is what the Kidron Valley looks like. It takes about 15 minutes to walk from the Temple Mount to the other side. This other side right over here is the Mount of Olives, believe it or not. It's not very mountainy. It's like an Oklahoma mountain, isn't it? <laughs> But right there, you can imagine with your mind's eye, 600 people scrambling down that hill, trying to get out of town before Absalom comes in. They empty into that, that hill or into that valley. And they're looking for a place, a route to escape. They're looking for something to, to run to, but there's not any good options. There's not any good options. I wonder if you and I have ever been in a situation where we've, we've been forced out of something in our lives. Forced out of health, forced out of money, lost your job, lost your sense of security, lost your marriage, lost, lost something that meant so much to you. Maybe some of you have lost a son or a daughter. And you're sitting there and you're hurting and you're grieved and, and you have to run away from what you thought was God's blessing. This was the last chapter. This is where I was supposed to be. This is where God wanted me. 
and I have to leave it because of what? The enemy is coming? Are you kidding me? You're kidding me? This is not what God wants me. God doesn't want me to, to evacuate. God doesn't want, God wants me to stay, to fight, to believe for it. But in moments like these, sometimes there's, there's not any options and, it, and you, you just do everything that you can to survive. And sometimes it's God's will to draw you out of that place of comfort, to find you into the darkest valley because the truth of the matter is, is that scholars believe that this, what you're looking at, the Kidron Valley, is the valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't look so deathy, does it? But maybe you'll understand why, because it gets worse in just a moment. See, they didn't turn to the right. They didn't go this way in the valley. Why? It seems easier, doesn't it? It seems like you should turn back to the right and run downhill. I mean, you have 600 people, and we're not just talking about David's mighty men here. We're talking about women and children. We're talking about old folks. We're talking about servants. We're talking about all these people that shouldn't we just run downhill? I mean, we get a run and start here, David. But David didn't turn back to the right as he was scrambling down that hill, and there's a reason why. Because just to the right, that valley intersects another valley. It intersects Hinnon Valley. Many of you may know this by Gehenna. This is a picture where one valley intersects another valley, and this is live, this is modern daytime, and you can see on this picture, and it kind of is hard, but there, that, that on the far end, on, on, your, uh, on your left, you can see there's actually homes built on that, val on that hill, and there's homes built on the other hill, and where, you're, where the camera is, there's homes, but as it looks down, this is one of the one desolate spots that you see in all of Jerusalem. Why? Because this spot in particular is revered because this is where Christ compared hell to. This is Gehenna. When Christ talked about hell and he used the words Gehenna, this is the very spot that he was talking about. But why? Well, this was Jerusalem's trash dump. This is where they took all their, their refuge. This is where they, they took all their, their, their stuff and they burned it. They added sulfur to it. And in this area, there was always a fire. There was always putrid smell coming out of this area. And this is also the area that they, way back in time, that they would sacrifice their children to, to Baal and, and to Molech. This was an evil area. But it's easier, isn't it? It would be easier to come down to this. Do you, can you imagine all the places, the routes of escape that you can find in this area? And I wonder sometimes when we, when we are running from our problems, when we're running from our situation, when we're trying to run and we're trying to survive, it would just be easier to run downhill and to grab the easiest thing that would bring us comfort. It's so easy to grab that pill bottle it's easy to grab the alcohol. It's easy to grab the easy relationship. It's easy to grab out and to bring something to you that would give you comfort, that would, that would help you escape faster, isn't it? But I want to tell you the easy way, the road downhill, it leads to Gehenna. It leads to hell. 
It leads to a place where you don't want to be. And you certainly don't want to take your family there. You don't want to take your friends there. But that's where it ends up. In the Valley of Gehenna, in hell. David knew this. He understood this. He, he understood that this was an evil place. This was a nasty place to be in. And so he, instead, he turns up and he goes other way. He goes up so that he could cross through the Kidron Valley and go up into, uh, into the Mount of Olives. But think about this mo for a moment. Instead of going the easy way, he goes to a difficult way. He goes to a difficult way. Just so that he can get out of the valley of the shadow of death. As you look at this picture, this is the valley of the shadow of death. This is just looking from about midway on the Mount of Olives. And what you see on your left-hand side, all those things are, is actual cemetery. That's the cemetery on the outside of Jerusalem. And on the other side, that big structure right there, that's the Temple Mount. That's where, that's where the temple stood. And in that valley, that valley was called the Valley of the Shadow of Death for a reason because there, it was almost always perpetually in, the, in a shade. And thieves and robbers would hide among the cemetery and leap out at people in, that were traveling the, through the Kidron Valley. It was a very dangerous place. You could be mugged. You could be taken advantage of at that place. It was also a place where Israel was re were reminded that death was there. It was, a, it was a reminder of hope that there would be a resurrection, but until that resurrection, you, you'd find death. And this is actually as David is leading out of the valley, he would have to walk through this cemetery coming up onto the Mount of Olives. And you see, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's treacherous, sometimes you're leading people through what feels like it's death. Sometimes in our life that doesn't feel like there's a good way out. You feel lost. You feel discouraged. You feel like you're climbing uphill, but there's never a top. You're trusting in the Lord. You're avoiding Gehenna. But it's not any easier. It's harder. The truth is, is that we're all going to be there one day. We're all going to be in the moment where we're climbing out of the valley of the shadow of death trying to depend upon God. And it feels like we're dying in the process. But you see, David is at home in this area because although he's climbing out of that valley of the shadow of death, he's going into a wilderness area. He's en route out of Jerusalem. And as you look at this map, I know this is hard to see, but on the left-hand side where you see these dots, this is Jerusalem, and it's sprawling, and there's green, but as he leaves out of Jerusalem, he's going westward, and to this day, there's nothing westward. It was less back then. <laughs> And as he walks out into the, the desert, you would think that he's walking out into the middle of nowhere. But I want you to know that as a shepherd, he's leading his people into green pastures. You think to yourself, well, Pastor John, you're really, <laughs> there wasn't any green on that map. 
See, as people of God, we read through the passage of Scripture in Psalm 23, and we see that green pastures, and every one of us, without fail, because of our Western concept, our mindset, thinks of green pastures as this screensaver, green grass, where we walk through knee-high, and we just, you know, we can make grass angels, and we can just lounge around, and it's wonderful, and it's lush, and somebody needs to come mow it every now and then, because I can't eat enough. Wouldn't that be nice as Christians? If God led us into a place like that, but I don't think that that's in God's heart and that's not in God's nature. And here's why. Because I don't believe that God will lead you to a place where you never have to depend on him. I, 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 think, that, I think that we as Christians sometimes get disheartened because we look at this green pasture situation and we're like, God, where's the green pastures? I'm depending on you. But I want you to notice a couple things about this picture. First of all, you'll notice that there are striations along the hillside. Those striations come from, uh, uh, from uh, decades upon decades upon, uh, on centuries of herding sheep across these hills. That's what the striations, that's what the lines are. And every once in a while, you'll see a little black speck or a little dark speck. That's actually tufts of grass growing out from the rocks that you find. Why is there grass that are, that's growing out in the middle of nowhere in the desert? I'll tell you why. Because it gets just a little bit of rain. And, and the breeze coming off the Mediterranean hits pockets of rocks and it, it collects those rocks, collect, collect dew and the dew runs down the rock and it, it wets the soil just around there. And that's why the, the grass grows just around the rocks. And as those sheep graze, they will get, the whole herd will get everything that they need to eat if they just keep moving through the green pastures. Over five miles, about five miles a day. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. And they keep going because God leads you through it. He doesn't just take you to a, a, a lush lawn and set you up and let you just play. That's not what life looks like. And when we think about that as Christians, we get so disheartened because we go through these times, through, the, through these scary moments, and we get frustrated because we're like, God, it, th this is not working out. I thought that life was going to be better than this. But it's not, and we get frustrated. We're like, what's wrong with me? If you're a perfect God, and I'm not perfect, then what have I done wrong to deserve this? But this is the good shepherd. He's providing everything that you need. If you just keep walking and trusting in him and believing and looking for the next blessing upon the next blessing upon the next mouthful and next mouthful, he'll get you to where you need to go. If you trust in him, that's green pastures. He's a good shepherd, amen. But then as they escaped into this area over about five to seven miles, they got as far as they could go for that day. And so the, the gathering, they, they, they pitched a tent in the middle of the wilderness and this tent would have looked exactly like this. This is a, this is a, a Bedouin uh, tribe in that area. 
that still keep the customs and culture alive. What David went through is, uh, and what David's tent looked like is exactly like this. And you can see that there are people and they're sprawling, lounging in this huge tent. I mean, in my mind, I look at a tent and I think, okay, there's three or four people sitting in here, you know, kind of huddling together. But this is a beautiful tent. And we find out that, that David and his people, 600 in total, could fit into these tents in the middle of the wilderness. They could gather together. But I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28, because God sends exactly what they need at the exact right time. They brought sleeping bags, mats, cooking pots, serving bowls, wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey, butter, sheep, goats and cheese for David and those who were with him. For they said, you must be very hungry and tired and thirsty after your long march through the wilderness. God put it on people's hearts to bring everything that David needed in that moment, more than what he needed. God cared for the way that they were sleeping at night. They cared about what they were eating. They want, God gave them fresh things, things that they needed and things that they couldn't keep. It was a feast for that moment, for that time in the middle of an ancient high-speed chase. 600 people had a feast in the desert. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanna tell you something. Some of you are frustrated, upset, scared, confused, because you believe that somehow God has missed the opportunity to defeat your enemy. God's missed the opportunity to heal you. God's missed the opportunity to restore your relationship. God's missed the opportunity to bring you financial security. God's missed something here. But if you just keep walking in obedience, God will be there and he will bring everything that you need. He, these people didn't ask for it. They weren't looking for it. They couldn't even fathom having a feast at that time. But God gave them what they weren't even asking for. He gave them something more than what they needed in the middle of the wilderness. People of God, I think the greater miracle is that not that God has healed you, not that God has de delivered you, but that God, in spite of the enemy, hot on their, on their trail, that they sat down and had a feast. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. That in the middle of whatever you're going through, in the middle of the diagnosis, in the middle of the cancer treatment, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of your loss, that God will bring a feast for you. And you'll be secure and you'll be fed and you'll be taken care of. And you'll feel the love and the warmth of community while you do it. You see, your crisis is not God's crisis. I love the saying that God never said, uh-oh, I didn't see that coming. That God has a plan and he has provision for you. In the middle of whatever you're going through, you can trust and believe that God is gonna do what he said he'd do, that he'd provide for you. Before Absalom went on a siege of Jerusalem just before he wanted to display his power his ability 
He wanted to set himself up as king. So the way he decided to do that was he went out and he built a tomb. We don't get this from scripture. We get this actually from geography. Because what you're seeing is a tomb built by Absalom. It's right there in the middle of the cemetery. As a matter of fact, David and all of his family would have had to walk right past it in order to escape. It's crazy because as you're running away, you can feel the power of the enemy trying to overwhelm you, try to engulf you, try to set himself up against you. I don't know what kind of enemy that you are dealing with today, but one thing is for certain that there's the enemy of your soul He's called the devil. The Bible tells us that he is nothing but a liar. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's not happy until he does it to you as a Christian. But I want you to know that God is greater than the enemy this morning. And that even though you walk through that valley of the shadow of death, even though you see the power of the enemy standing right at your face and you're running away from it, I want you to see what happens to that kind of power, to that kind of monument. Watch what, what happens. We find it in scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse nine. During the battle, as David's men came back and uh, and had to fight Absalom as they came in the wilderness at him. It says, during the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept on going and left him dangling in the air. Boy, what a way to die. One of David's men saw what happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling in the tree. Later on in the passage, we find out that they, they, killed, they killed Absalom. They took him down out of that tree. And instead of burying him in that tomb, can we put that tomb up one more time? And instead of burying him in that tomb, what they did was they took his body and threw it under some rocks out there in the forest. When David came back in, he had that tomb sealed up, never to be used. And to this day, Jewish people will take their children to that tomb, that place right there. They'll pick up a rock off the ground and they'll tell their children, you throw this rock right there at that tomb. You throw it at that tomb. Why dad? Because that's what happens when children rebel. What a great lesson, huh? <laughs> I'm gonna bring my kids to Israel. <laughs> Can I tell you that that's how all the enemy's plans will work out in the end? That's what happens when you rebel. That's what happens whenever you try to stand up to the child of God. That's what happens when you touch the anointed ones of God. Is that the enemy's plans don't work out. They don't get to set up and be powerful in your life. God's got provision and he leads you and he guides you through the wilderness. If you just trust in him, if you just believe him, if you don't lose your faith in him, he will bless you. He will be with every step of the way in those green pastures that don't always look green. 
he'll give you just enough so, so that you'll continue to follow. And, and then there's sometimes where you gather together and he provides everything that you need and everything that you could even have imagined that you wanted in the middle of your trial, of your circumstances. And as a matter of fact, 1 Peter 4 reminds us of this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Skip down to verse 19. He, he gives us one final reminder. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God. He says, if you're, if you're walking close to him, if you're trusting him through those green pastures, if you didn't take the easy way out, if you stay there, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you for he will never fail. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Would you stand up all over this place? Come on, he deserves it, Lord. Let's give him another hand of praise. Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy. Somebody in this room right now needs to hear this word because you thought that life was supposed to be better than what it is when you trust God with it. Somebody needs to hear this in their hearts and their minds because you thought that, that something was wrong with your relationship with God because you don't feel like you're living in some kind of lush pasture. But I wanna remind you that God is a good shepherd and when you stay by him, he will lead you. He will guide you. He will deliver you from the hand of your enemy. Would you just bow your heads all across this place? Right now, I wanna, I wanna give you a moment because somebody in this place may be saying, Pastor John, I, I, I wanna be led by God because there's something in my life right now I'm going through that I can't handle. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. Looking all over this place. Thank you. Yes, I see you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Looking all across this place. Pastor John, something in my, life, in my life is going on right now. And I need God's guidance. I need him to lead me in those pastures. Right now, I want to trust him. Thank you, ma'am. Yes. Wow. Thank you. I see you. Yes, thank you. One more moment. Right now, would you just simply grab the hand of the person standing on your right and your left? There are so many people in this place that had raised their hands. Wow. Wow. Oh, Lord. Help us. Would you just begin to pray all across this place right now for the person standing on your right and your left that God would lead them, that God would guide them, that God would increase their faith so that they would stay faithful to the end. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us today. 
Lord, that we wouldn't count it strange that these fiery trials, these valleys of the shadow of death that we find ourselves in, Lord, that, that, that somehow, Lord, in some way you would come and that you would guide each and every one of our steps, Lord, that you would call us into the green pasture of trusting you, Lord, that you would have your provision, Lord, with each and every step, Lord, that we'd follow you. Lord, I pray, God, right now, that those that are, are standing in this place, Lord, but they're feeling, Lord, that they are completely depleted. They've been trusting you, Lord, that you would gather them around your table, inside of your tent. Lord, that you would protect them, that you would guard them. Lord, that you would keep them safe from the enemy in the middle of their trial, in the middle of their chase. Father, be with them right now. Lord, we depend upon you. Lord, for one day we will stand before our friends, before our family, before our places of business, and we will say that God is faithful to deliver me from the enemy. Oh, Lord, I pray, God, that that will be each and every one of our testimony, for it's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Somebody say amen. Be blessed as you walk through your green pastures.